Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Before we get started with the episode, I wanted to announce to you that we are running a giveaway. We are giving away $6,700 of link building tools and courses to celebrate the upcoming launch of our brand new advanced link building course that should be here in just a few weeks now. It includes an Ahrefs account, a Hunter account, and pretty much everything you need to do really high quality link building. If you want to enter it, go on authorityhacker.com slash giveaway, and you get more chances for inviting your friends. So if you are in some kind of SEO related Skype groups or Facebook groups, you know, consider sharing it. Anyway, back to business. In today's episode, we will also be talking about link building. I'm sitting down again with Charles Flutes, who is a well-known gray hat SEO guy, and now he's mostly a link seller. And look, having Charles Flutes here doesn't mean that we recommend you buy links. We have always managed to build large amounts of links to our sites without paying for them, but it's nonetheless a reality of the market. Some of your competitors will buy links regardless of what you think is right or wrong. And it's something that you will benefit from understanding better when it comes to competing with them. And that's exactly where this interview comes in. Because Charles runs many link building campaigns in many niches with many clients and has a lot of experience, he's gaining a wealth of information that you get to benefit from as he shares it here. So if you enjoyed my nerdy interview with Carol Roof, I highly recommend you stick here for this one because it gets equally geeky and we'll talk about a lot of advanced link building concepts. I won't tease anymore, so let's get started with the interview. Enjoy. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today, I am not with Mark. I am with Charles Float, who is an infamous link seller these days. Uh, you have had many carriers, but I think your main focus now, Charles, is, uh, is your link service. And I wanted to talk to you because I am interested in talking to people who do a lot of link building campaigns. We don't buy links. We would not do that for our sites. At this point, I'm not saying never. I'm just saying not at this point. But you know things that we don't because you're working on so many projects, and I think that's going to be quite interesting. So welcome to our podcast, Charles. How's it going? Yeah, thanks for having me, girl, and it's, it's going pretty good. I've just been mostly focused on this link service in my agency. I haven't really been doing a whole heap for the projects right now for myself, but um, it's given me quite a lot of insight over the last couple of months into how literally hundreds of customers are, are doing their link building and, and what kind of links they're using for their kind of niches. Cool. Like, what kind of niches do you work in usually? Like, let's say, what are like, like, don't give the exact niches, but the broad niches, like top five broad niches that you guys are working in? So for my own personal projects and for our own, so for my own affiliate project, sorry, it's it would be mostly, for, for example, like tech and uh, online downloads. I'm not a huge fan of physical products and I, I, I haven't really done a whole heap of Amazon stuff because I just don't like Amazon's affiliate program and I haven't liked it for a long time. I mostly focus on downloadables and, and online gaming and things like that rather than anything physical. For in terms of our in terms of our agency side, we do mostly physical products because we're doing e-commerce SEO. So it would be a lot of things like home furniture, high value ticket items that have got good uh, that have got good traffic volumes as well. Yeah, out of curiosity, is it is it mostly like small SEO people buying links or is it like is it are big companies also buying links? You'd be surprised uh, uh, who who actually comes to us for link building. We've got a variety of people. It, it can be you know your average affiliate with one or two websites versus a corporation earning fifty million dollars a year. And we, we have a few companies and we have a few agencies actually that would like to probably not tell anyone that they use us. 
you don't have to give names. I'm just like I know I know you can't reveal who your clients are. I'm just I'm just curious like how big the companies that Bailings are really because it's like it's kind of like that that perception, especially within the white hat community, that like it's mostly like really nerdy gray hat guys in a dorm room in uh, in Chiang Mai or wherever <laughs> that do this kind of stuff. But I I think there's definitely a lot of people that Bailings, even if you're against it ethically, it's just a reality of the market whether you like it or not. And so it's it's quite interesting to know to know who does that basically. Yeah, we have some of the some agencies that release content on you know the biggest white hat publications in the world that still buy links for us every day. Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. So a lot of people that say you shouldn't buy links, buy links. Basically, we shouldn't know who it is, but yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> so it's quite interesting. So you're working for small sites, you're working for big sites. Do you recommend the same links to these sites, or like like kind of like what do you recommend to who basically? So it really depends on on what we're doing. For our client side, it would all be custom campaigns, custom analysis, that kind of stuff. When it comes to generic affiliate, unless unless you're going for gigantic keywords like you know the best hosting provider or best gaming monitor or what whatever those kind of things, then you can go with a generalized campaign. You don't need to go on on serious serious analysis. But anything kind of over the five thousand monthly search volume mark, then I would recommend just just purely doing analysis to be able to know what kind of links you're going to need, what your competitors are using, what links your site already has or has picked up naturally, um, and then a variety of other things as well. But we, we generally recommend doing full competitor and site analysis before we move on to actually recommending any specific links. But when it comes to things like local SEO, obviously there's a, there's a certain amount you do. You don't, you're not going to need a huge $2,000 editorial to rank some local plumbers website, you can just go with citations and maybe even some PBN links and, and uh, some contextual guest posts that are on the cheaper end. Yeah, I agree. It's like most of the time, it's like unless it's massively competitive, we haven't found, like we can just apply whatever we're best at for LinkedIn. And then, then when these are like the big keywords, we, uh, we struggle a bit more usually. And then we actually finally put them in Ahrefs, the competitors, and finally look at them and uh, try to replicate that. I think it does also depend significantly on what kind of site you're actually doing link building for. Because when if, if you're doing a link building for like a gigantic authority site versus a local business, then you're going to have, you're going to run into a variety of different issues, and different problems for the local site that an authority site simply wouldn't have. And you're also going to run into a bunch of issues with an authority site where you can't build the same links that you'd be building at a local site to that authority site. Hmm, interesting. One question I had for you as well is like, I kind of have that working theory that in terms of, uh, I mean, it's kind of a benchmark I give myself for the links we build, but I do feel like as our sites reach decent domain rating in Ahrefs, like let's say above 60, lower DR links tend to have a much smaller effect than they would have when the site was just starting, like let's say a DR 25-30 link, like site from a link from a DR 25-30. And as these sites gain in authority, it, it almost feels like for us, it's only worth going for links that are at least of your DR or higher to really move the needle in terms of rankings. Do you see anything similar to this? So like, like basically the higher authority you are, the higher authority links you need to actually move the needle? Or am I just delusional? In terms of the power of certain links as you kind of go more on up the needle, um, I, would, I would again, it depends on the page. So for example, if you're going to try and rank for paid alone, some DR30 mommy blog is not going to do the trick. Whereas, and that would be for any page, it wouldn't just be for an authority site versus a, a smaller website, if you get what I mean. Um, 
when it comes to actually building like DR25s versus building a DR60 at a, a website which has a higher domain rating, I, I haven't seen a huge amount of correlation in terms of them having a specific link signal that would be lesser if it was on an authority site. But what I have found is that you'll need a higher quality overall for a low website than you will for a, a higher authority website. So what you can do is you can actually, so, or what we do anyway, is we tend to build those lower DR, lower DA kind of links. And I do not think that you should just purely be basing your link building campaigns on metrics. I'm just saying that as an example. If you're going to be using those lower DR links, then we tend to use them at supporting content on authority sites and keep our budget for the big links for the big pages directly rather than doing so. So, so we haven't got the as much data as you guys probably have because we don't tend to build those lower DA and DR links at money pages. We tend to build them at supporting pages, which then allows it to pass juice through the internal link rather than passing a specific ranking signal. Yeah, fair enough. Makes sense. Uh, actually, makes it makes a lot of sense. Then this way, you just put low, like you just get the low hanging fruits for cheap on these lower importance pages, and then you get the high DR links on the high value pages. I think that there might be an effect of us just going for more competitive keywords as our size grow as well. And then as a result, we just have different observations that then at the beginning of a website. Hard to tell, to be honest, because it's so dynamic. Another question I wanted to ask you as well was, uh, I know MadDigity is really into links with traffic. What's your opinion on that? Like how links, like links from pages that get traffic better than links from pages that don't get traffic. I think that there's actually some bias towards links that get traffic that links don't, purely because the links that get traffic organically will naturally acquire more backlinks than sites that don't have any traffic because people will naturally find them and link to those pages. So I think there's actually kind of a dynamic where you're having a more of a linking issue. So you're getting more you're getting more links to a page with a high volume of traffic, then you're not going to get it. Same exact thing goes for a website. When you create a brand new guest post on a site that's getting, on a blog, sorry, that's getting 100,000 organic visits a month, then they're going to convert into getting more visits on that on that blog post and that guest post, sorry, than if you were getting it on a smaller blog that's not getting any traffic. So I do think that there's a, there's a role in terms of how many links you're going to naturally acquire because of the traffic that plays into there. But I don't, that we've done a load of testing and we haven't seen a huge correlation between actually having links with a huge amount of traffic versus links with, you know, lower levels, 100, 200 visits a month versus a page with 20,000, 30,000 visits a month. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you just end up ranking for like big info keywords, you just end up picking up links. I mean, like House of Mission was a good example. Like we're ranking for like banana and peanut butter and like random stupid keywords, but they would get a bunch of links. <laughs> and I guess over time, like, I guess the, it wasn't the traffic that counted from these pages, but rather the, the amount of natural links that would they would gather over time as they're ranking for these informational queries for a long time. Okay, cool. Interesting. Another thing I wanted to ask you is like you, you said a minute ago that uh, metrics were not the only important thing for links. My next question was about relevance, like how important is relevance? Was that what you meant? So not, so metrics is purely meaning like DA, DR, referring domain count, that kind of thing, rather than an, like a whole overview of the domain. Because obviously when you're looking at DA, DR, et cetera, that, those metrics don't count traffic. So you can theoretically have a DA, DR 90 website that's got manually penalized and it wouldn't actually pass any juice to you because it's not even within Google's index anymore. That's why I don't personally go with metrics. But in terms of your question about uh, relevancy, I think it only really depends on the page or page relevancy. But as you get higher up in terms of the site that you're getting a link from, so in terms of how authoritative that site is and how big that site is in terms of how many index pages, I think the less relevance you need in terms of how, in terms of 
the overall site. So it has kind of a scale. The more authorities the site has that you're getting a link from, the less relevant it's going to need to be able to pass a ranking signal to your page. Yeah, it's basically like PageRank gives you, PageRank broadens your spectrum of relevancy. That's kind of the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. Like basically like the New York Times is about everything. But like if you're a tiny site, you can't be about everything because you're ranked for nothing. And it's like... Yeah, exactly. So from that, would you rather get a DR, like I'm going to take DR, I know it's a lot of other metrics, but let's say a DR 45 links that's like, hyper relevant to what you're doing let's say from an seo site to your to your link selling service or would you take a dr90 link from the new york times i'd probably have to go with a dr90 just because yeah. just pure, again this is what i'm saying when it comes to the authority thing you can you can get away with a lot more having the tier one dr90 in terms of like tier two link building in terms of how much authority it's going to pass over a certain amount of time um, and then just certain signals that you that you know you're going to get from an authority site versus a site that's unknown when you're link building. Okay, cool. Another thing that I've observed is what we do is sometimes link building campaigns, we do get the links, but like they take ages to get an impact on rankings. And sometimes it get, it's really quick. What affects that according to you? Okay, so this is actually a really interesting one because I can formally now say that we've actually acquired a company in America called Siono Media. And basically what they do is they specialize in Google News. So the reason I wanted to acquire these guys were because of this problem of having link juice. So from our testing, what we've been doing recently is building our tier one backlinks as Google News backlinks because they're submitted to the Google News feed, which then means they get instantly indexed. And from our testing, those instantly indexed links are passing juice that day or the next day versus links that are they get an index within three or four days, but because they're not submitted straight to the index and then kind of jumping that queue of priority to be run through crawlers and things, it means that we're actually getting that link signal now rather than getting it two to three weeks later on. But when you are building the links that aren't getting straight within the Google News index and they're just within the normal index and you're not forcing them within the index, you know, and let's say they naturally kind of get placed within three days into Google's index, it can take two, three, four weeks to see any kind of effect nowadays. I'm not 100% sure why that is. I think Google has just forcibly been slowing down that algorithm, as well as there's just more and more spam kind of hitting the internet. So it's taking up more of Google's index and resources. But yeah, we've 100% been seeing it taking a lot longer to have, have an effect from links. Yeah, it feels like compared to like two, three years ago, it takes like it's much slower actually, which like many things have sped up. Like, you know, like when you update content, etc., they pick it up much faster like on your site, but the links, it's just, it actually feels like twice slower than it used to be. Do you have any tricks to actually like force the re-indexing basically, like on an external site? The YouTube XML sitemap trick still works very well, but we tend to just allow them to naturally index just because we don't like force indexing. Other than that, then there's, there is like a few different tricks that you can do, but there it's all mainly around tier two kind of link building and stuff nowadays. Google's kind of actively trying to remove any tricks that you can do to force index stuff. And that's the exact reason of why I'm going down the Google news route. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, I mean, I also think if you want, like, if you don't want to get too much spotlight on your site, maybe you should just be patient, to be honest, just because, because forcing indexing of like a lot of links, especially if you build a lot, might, it might look a little spammy. Actually, my next question was about tier two, actually. So I know you do a bunch of tier two link building. Uh, you talked about that, the different conferences that where we were at, 
last year, uh, I've even started experimenting a bit, not as much as I'd like to, to be honest. I've done other things. But yeah, tier two link building, I know you do a bunch of that. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so basically, I started really heavily focusing on tiered link building when Rolling Penguin came out because Google made the announcement that they were only going to be doing uh, link building via Penguin, which is their main uh, link-based algorithm, that they were only going to be doing on a page-by-page level. So previously to Rolling Penguin, you could have a link from the New York Times, and just because it was a backlink on the root domain of the link of the New York Times, yeah, that it would, you pass fine, load yeah. of, it would pass you a load of juice. But nowadays, and over the last two to three years, it's only pages on the New York Times that are going to be A, relevant, or two, have a shitload of links to be able to support that kind of link. Otherwise, it's going to pass the exact same ranking signal as you know some DR30 blog. Theoretically, anyway, that there's like a load of other things that will play into like internal linking between this between pages on the authority site and stuff like that, which can give you a better linking signal. But generally speaking, links are now the exact same link. If it is the exact same content, word count, it doesn't have any links to it, et cetera. And that's why we really heavily focus into tiered link building. And that's where we've actually seen a huge amount of success. So instead before, or four years ago, five years ago, people were doing tiered link building automatically with like uh, SENuke, XCR, and GSA, XCR, and all of these tools which have seen in Yeah, exactly. XRumor, man. This, this XRumor was the real thing. Like uh, the, the text modes on XRumor to spam like uh, indexable ticket systems and everything. Oh, my God. Yeah, there was a, there's a load of stuff. I, I just really liked being able to drag and drop build link building campaigns. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I really enjoyed like making a PowerPoint presentation of how my backlink profile is going to look. But in terms of how those links were previously used, you'd literally create a diagram of where you want to link to point to that, and then it would automatically go and build them. And people are still doing that, and people are still doing that to this day for their tiered link building. They think that you can get away with you know, spamming your tier one backlinks and things. Whereas actually we've seen way more success when it comes to doing really high authority tier one links. So, you know, like the Google News, like the New York Times, like Forbes, all these huge websites that have do follow links on really high domains. And then what we do is we use PBNs, we use cheaper ends of our niche edits. We use those kind of stuff to then power up our tier one link. So the tier one link might cost $300, $400 to acquire, but if you then build $200 of tier two links at it, that's an overall $600 link that will have the same impact as some $10,000 guest posting campaigns on the tier one will have. Interesting. How many tier two links do you build to these uh, tier one links? Like just to get an idea of the scale? So it really depends on over what period of time we're going to be doing the tier two link building. But let's say it's we only have a one month time frame and it's a link on the New York Times. I'm probably going to only go with like five tier two links to it so before people were building like ten thousand tier two web ports and things like that whereas yeah so i purely go with making the entire campaign from tier two tier one etc all of it is going to be high quality all of it's going to be contextual and it's all going to be on real websites and then you do the SNU to the tier two right yeah exactly yeah that's a tier three trick there are you doing that or are you joking? <laughs> no, I'm only joking. <laughs> I, I actually don't use any automated link building apart from for Parasite SEO, but that can be another call for another day. Cool. Yeah, I guess I guess one day we need a special Grey Hat seasonal podcast or something for Halloween or something, I guess. Anyway, are you using PBNs in tier one these days? Like, are you getting PBN links directly to your money site size pages or, or you're purely just paying for links on large publications and then just using a PBN as tier two? 
So I do use PBNs tier one, but it's only if it's a dedicated PBN. So I, I will go out and actively find really high level aged auction domains that are niche relevant to my money site and I'll build a dedicated PBN. But that is still very rare. I've only done that like once or twice in the last 12 months. It's cheaper to get PBM. It's cheaper to get placements on real websites, sorry, than doing that whole dedicated PBN stuff. But there are some niches and there's some like foreign stuff and things like that where you're going to need a PBN because of the amount of juice that people are throwing at it and the amount of PBNs that they've got behind their sites. I'm glad we agree though. It's like for long, the longest time I said PBNs were less monetary uh, variable than just getting placed on real sites. You just end up paying for it, but that's the only difference. They are now, but two years ago, before Rolo Penguin, before loads of like de-indexing issues and things like that, I think PBNs were cheaper and things. And especially when you could use expired domains on mass, that was just the cheapest. We would just go and buy like 5,000 domains a month and just throw them up on the cheapest hosting we could get our hands on. And it would work all day long. It's interesting, though. It's interesting to see that. But I think it's, it's really changing the link landscape massively if there's an actual shift for going from PBNs as a primary link target to actually just getting placed on real sites. It's going to make it, it, I mean, it's going to take years for Google to even react to this, but it's going to be interesting to see what they come up with. It's going to take so long. Like imagine the amount of false positives they will have while I'm trying to hunt that, you know? That all being said though, for foreign stuff, like we're still using PBNs tier one all day. Like, yeah. So and anything in like the Nordics or Germany or Spanish, or whatever we use, we're using PBNs tier one all day long. Yeah, because there's so much less spam control over these uh, over these these territories as well, right? I mean, like it's like uh, if you get out of the English language, just anything goes. It's the Wild West, basically, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Do you think internal links are as powerful like as external links? Someone else asked me this before, and again, with their, with everything in SEO, it depends. But I, I do not think they're as powerful because, for example, if you have a blog post on your blog and you and they're both relevant and one link and one internally links you one sorry one internally links from that blog post to that money page from that blog which has no links has the exact same content etc as your guest post you're going to get a better ranking signal off the guest post just because it's an external backlink then then you are off of a blog post with the exact same content length the exact same obl all that kind of stuff as the external guest post just because google favors external signals and it, it favors that as like its form of validation if anything else that the page is real rather than just internally linking from your own website. Yeah, I think I think I, agree. I mean the way I'm looking at it is like I do think the algorithm from Google is like oh, is page based only. I think domain rating is just an effect of internal linking, you know. And and you know when you get, keep getting a link from the same domain, it just decreases in in efficiency. Like there's a diminishing return from getting a link from the same domain again and again. And an internal link is essentially the thousands links you get from the same domain, you know. And so as a result, I can imagine you get less results, but in essence, if there was no internal linking on your site and pages were not linking to each other, I still believe that an internal link would be as powerful as an external link. But in practice, in practice, it doesn't work that way. And also, it's, it's hard, for example, for Google to actually remove all of the menu links or the footer links or that kind of stuff without having like schema, schema menu optim- optimization, things like that. So there's loads of other additional facts that come into play when you talk about internal linking. But I do think that if you're doing a link building campaign, you really need to be doing an internal linking campaign as well because they benefit each other so greatly that you're going to need to do it. And nowadays, especially with like affiliate sites and things like that, we actively recommend people to link to their supporting content because it will be cheaper. It'll be more cost effective than building the 20th backlink that month at the money page 
and it helps with things like link velocity and stuff like that because you're not building this links to the same pages you're you're building them across your website and things as well yeah i agree i mean like to ex gray hat people i tend to tell them that like this kind of supporting content is kind of like a pbn on your own site you know essentially you're able to build links like you, you reduce the cost and if effort you take to get a link and given the fact that i really don't believe in domain rating as a thing but just like internal linking making it happen it just yeah it just it counts as a link like it's as powerful as a pbn basically I want to talk about something. So not many people talk about this, but it does feel like link ghosting is a real thing from a lot of people I've talked to. Essentially, you get a link from a page, you get a boost in rankings, and then you remove that link and your rankings stay at the same place. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, so we, we've done tests for it and it's 100% real. And I don't see any other reason why it wouldn't be. Google's cache is two years old. So if you index a page within Google, that page is going to be somewhere within Google's database and servers and index, etc. for the next two years. So you've got 24 months of Google being able to go through that page and see the changes and see what's happened, etc. Um, so I think from our own testing, at least, if you delete a link that has been on that page for any significant amount of time, and it's been able to stem up and build up a consistent amount of mentions in the cache, then I do think it will it will for sure pass the signal for at least the next you know month or two months or three months. And we, we haven't been able to put down a specific science to it, but it does require Google to be able to cache that page several times before it ever can actually have the link ghosting effect. So you need to make sure that it's within the index for at least three, four months from our own testing. Okay. Uh, my, my next question was actually like, can you abuse that and create page ranks from scratch by just rotating links and getting the page? Like essentially you put a link to one money page, you get it in the, like you leave it to index for a few months or whatever. Then you change the link to another money page <laughs> and then you just change it back. Like you, you rotate two or three links. And instead of getting a ranking boost to one page, you get a ranking boost to three pages without having the divide of page rank. Do you think that would work? I haven't tested it, so I'm not 100% sure. So, so I can't 100% say it would work or not. But in terms of from my own, I would probably say no, because from my own research and stuff, Google does compare cache versions of pages. So for example, when they're doing like freshness, when they're doing that kind of thing, they wouldn't be able to do freshness if they weren't checking that page is relevant versus the old page. Um, so we've seen, for example, when you don't actually update the metadata and you don't update the date on the page, but you add 500 words in a new image, that will still trigger the freshness update. Even though you haven't told Google that is that page is last updated today, it will still tr trigger the freshness update. So that tells us that Google is 100% checking their cached versions versus their non-cached versions of the pages, because otherwise it wouldn't trigger the freshness update and get a ranking boost just from changing the content and images. I think Google would compare the versions and see that you're linking from the same place and with the same architects, et cetera, to a different page. So I think then maybe it would cancel it out. But if you were linking from the same page, but in a different way, you were adding content, editing content, et cetera, then you could theoretically probably have a, have a link ghosting effect to multiple websites with the same kind of keyword. Yeah, interesting. It's, uh, we need to get Carol Roof to test it or something. I'm getting gray hat now. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. <laughs>
Yeah, I mean, it's like, I like, I don't like, you won't find us do it on our sides, but it doesn't mean that we don't observe people doing these kind of things. It doesn't mean that we don't know what's going on. It doesn't mean we don't have these same thoughts, experiments, etc. Yeah. It's like, we just like, we don't really on our money sites and like people can check out money sites and won't find it. But like, I still find it interesting. And I think this kind of like mind bending exercise of like, how do the rules apply in different ways? And what does that mean in certain situations? Is what it takes to just be creative at SEO anyway, whether it's white hat, gray hat or whatever. I was doing a lot of gray hat at my beginning in SEO and I still follow it basically. Well, my next question is fun. What's the dirtiest link you've ever built? I'm not going to give any more context to that question. Okay. Um, so the, dirt, the dirtiest link. So probably I had, I had a client probably four years ago now or maybe five years ago in like 2015. And we, we were doing link building for them, but their competitor had a blog that was on another domain. So it was like brand name blog.com. They put a serious amount of work into this blog. It, it actually had like newspaper links. It had loads of this kind of stuff. But because it was another domain, they let that blog domain expire. So I basically picked up that domain and went through, systematically went through Ahrefs and found their blog links and, and basically 301 to their specific pages with loads of links to our money pages. And we basically went up like three times or four times the amount of traffic that they were getting previously <laughs> because we had we had better on-page on our root domain. We had links to the root domain, et cetera. And they put all of this effort into another domain. And we basically just managed to steal it of 301. And they didn't have trademark over the domain? So it was a trading name. It wasn't the limited company. In the UK, there's loads of rules and stuff around to actually have a trademark, you need an actual trademark, whereas you can't just be a trading name of a limited company. Yeah, there's loads of stuff, yeah. But they didn't get it back. <laughs> yeah, ever since someone tried about AtariHackers.com, we have trademarks now. Uh, it's, we've learned a lesson. So that's pretty dirty. Do you have another, another dirty link story that you want to tell us, or, or is that the main one that you have in mind? There's a story that I didn't actually take them up on, but it was when, when I was like 18... I was on um, my emails and stuff and someone emailed me because I was talking about link building on my previous blog and someone actually emailed me offering me that they were an escort company. <laughs> so they, they were basically offering me their services for link building campaigns in return because they were semi-local to where I was. I didn't, I didn't take them up on the offer because I, I had a girlfriend and I wouldn't anyway. But <laughs> I just felt dirty reading the email, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that is the quite literal sense of dirty link building. <laughs> yeah. So do you think, I mean, that's kind of a really broad question that could open a bunch of debates, but do you think Google will, will ever move away from links or at least largely reduce the impact links have on rankings? I think they will move towards reducing the impact they have on newer websites and things, but I think you'll always need links because that's the fundamental way the internet works to be able to validate a page's authority and trust and things. I think what they will start to do is they'll start to move, like kind of authenticating the links that you're actually getting. So they're going to use machine learning algorithms and things to be able to know if that page has traffic, if it's got bounce rate, if that specific link is even getting clicked on because of how many sites are using analytics code. Um, and then they're also going to be looking at sites like Reddit, for example, is going to be a, a fantastic way to be able to validate a page's success. If a page has got... 10,000 referring domains in a month or, or a website, sorry, it's got 10,000 referring domains a month, but that website has gone viral. It's all over Reddit. It's all over Twitter. It's all over social media. Then you're going to know as Google that that page has gone viral and you're going to give it some kind of an effect 
to be able to sustain that level of link building that any other website that doesn't have all of those signals wouldn't be able to sustain. So there, there will always be ways for me to manipulate it is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's basically like this social fortress that uh, Madiki talks about as well, where he's just like telling people to like get social shares, etc. And then after that, just ramp up the links. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit conflicted about the idea. In my, in my mind, the first way that Google doesn't use links too much is the feature snippets. Like uh, as long as you're like, you know, top five, top 10. So you need to, to get in the range of feature snippets, you need links for many queries, but but then it, it doesn't seem to be link-based, like which site gets picked for featured snippets, you know? And we also did a case study, uh, not a case study, but like we actually scraped 1.1 million search results recently to like actually try to correlate the highest ranking factors after the um, after the medical updates, et cetera. And yeah, links were still by far the highest correlating factor. So links are not really going anywhere at this point. It's just like, it seems like the, the social thing is important. And one thing that I want to say as well is very often, like we update content. Uh, we've not updated a lot of content on Tori Hacker recently, so it was interesting to observe that. It's like we update content, we resubmit it to the index, and sometimes we wait like one or two weeks to actually promote it. And it's pretty funny because like it gets re-indexed and everything, and the rankings don't move that much. And as soon as we hit the promotion, rankings jump up, actually. So I, I mean, I have no idea what is the actual factor that triggers that because we have a lot of vehicles of promotion. But what I know is that it definitely seems to be as much of a nudge, at least, as when we re-index the, piece, the updated piece of content when we actually promote it. So, yeah, I can buy into that theory, actually. Yeah, we, we actually did a test where I, I basically built a website where we had a schema-optimized menu. So if you ever search for the brand and you see the site, site links, now you can actually create those site links. Like before, it was really hard to get Google to understand which pages you wanted within the site links of your uh, page. So they actually made like a schema option to be able to do that. And what we noticed from one of our affiliate sites is that when we, when that affiliate site went viral on Reddit in like the first few weeks was launched the site, that the site links actually popped up for the brand's terms straight away. But when we were doing it with another, another site that didn't have any of that traffic, that was only having standard, typical kind of supporting content and link campaigns, et cetera, it took several months to be able to get the site links for our brand term. Um, so I definitely see a, a correlation between Google giving value to a page that has got real uh, traffic and real kind of viability and things as well. Yeah, we are, we're updating like our advanced course right now. And I'm actually going to be putting a bunch of like content promotion tactics as much for the actual promotion as it actually, as much as it feels like it's helping the SEO quite a bit as well. It's not really like pure social media or whatever. It's just like getting a bunch of people on your new content, etc. And uh, and for us, I've seen really decent jumps when we when we've done this promotion effort. Basically, it seems like SEO is getting closer to like real PR marketing in many aspects. Actually, the same way as you're getting on these big publications, etc. Which is which I like to be honest. It's it's kind of like more interesting to do than. Uh, than uh, churning out a thousand WordPress blogs on the default themes and putting a bunch of links in it. Anchor text. When you optimize anchor text, do you try to mimic whoever is ranking or do you have any kind of like uh, secret recipe? We always try to look at the anchor profiles of the top pages just to kind of get a general sense of things. Generally, we found that niche specific kind of things that you can get away with different things. So when, when you're going into like health, for example, you can't go really high Ank text velocities, sorry, really high ank text ratios. But when you're going into like local kind of smaller stuff where there's only a handful of competitors, you can go a hot a lot higher with your ank text ratios than you would normally. So I think it really 
it, so we do 100% look at what our competitors are doing before we do it. But there's also loads of factors that the AHF's Anchotext or the Mod Anchotext clouds have, which cause issues. So you could have, theoretically, you could have one link from one site, but because AHF's is annoyingly picking up the query URLs that create 100 duplicates, that, but Google aren't picking those up, that can create issues with Anchotext cloud, et cetera. So, you've, so we always try to have a default that we won't go over a certain percentage, which will, it's actually the lower end. We prefer going with branded. We prefer going with um, longer tail versions of Anchotext, that kind of stuff. So we'll try and keep the keyword within the Anchotext. So for example, if the keyword was dog food, we'll put the Anchotext as this website about dog food. So we'll try and go with a longer kind of Anchotext to be safer than just going with high levels of exacts. Um, and I'll always, and e- even when I am going for the exact kind of stuff, then I'll put them on those higher, bigger publications because you can actually get away with going for more keyword optimized Anchotext from higher authority links than you can from like a lower kind of site. Yeah. How important using Anchotext is though? Like as we talked about like how you optimize it, but like, uh, like, so like, is it really important to have keywords in Anchotext these days or is it like whatever you get, like as long as you get a good link? I think you might appreciate this, but I think it's more important to not fuck up your Anchotext than it is to not, to actually try and actively optimize it for a ranking signal. So I think it's you're, you're better off going as safe as possible with your Anchotext than you are trying to come up with some really clever Anchotext strategy because Google's got enough data to be able to see through quite a lot of that. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I'm kind of finding the opposite on-page uh, optimization these days. It's like, I used to be the guy that like didn't believe at all in like keyword density, etc. And I've been playing with it. And what I'm seeing is that very often you can, you need to go way crazier than you think in terms of like uh, exact and partial match keyword on your page to do much better in search. And that Google is really not that smart at this stuff. So it's kind of funny that on one end, on on-page, from my experience, you tell me if you have the same experience, you can go fairly aggressive, but for Anchotest, they're really good at catching it up. Yeah, so for internal linking especially, we go really aggressive with our internal linking. We use like exact, exact and partial match keywords every time we internally link and things like that. Um, so I would 100% agree that on-page you can actually be way more over-optimized. And something that we do a lot is we use the on-page to rank for the keyword, and then we'll just use branded branded links to be able to pass enough juice and enough authority to be able to rank that optimized page but it's purely the on page that's doing the actual ranking for the keywords because the the uh, backlinks don't have any anchors related to the actual topic or keyword that we're trying to rank for you just build the the relevancy with the on-page copy and on-site uh internal links and then just the external links are just here to just pure page rank to post page rank basically I think there is actually something in doing on-page for your links as well. So making sure that the backlinks that you're getting are as relevant as possible to the page that you're linking to. How I mean by that, I don't mean that the site needs to be relevant. I mean the page that you're getting the link needs to be relevant. As well as the fact that if if you can, this is why I also like PBNs and I like that kind of stuff, because you can still control all of the pages on those sites. So you can, and a lot of people don't do this, but I don't know why they wouldn't internally link other pages of their PBN back to the back to the page that they're trying to get that link from that PBN link to the money page. I don't know why people don't actively do on page for their PBNs because you're going to get a lot more juice out of it. And the exact same goes for if you're doing a guest post on another website. If that website has got really terrible on page, but it has a really good link profile, then if you can actively tell them how to do their meta title, if you can actually tell them how to add some schema, that kind of thing, then it's going to actually up the value of that of that singular backlink that you're getting. And, and it's only going to take the five to 10 minutes to explain to a site owner to be able to do that. 
Yeah, I mean, on a higher level as well, it allows this kind of like knowledge allows you to build relationships with site owners that just suck at it. And, and you're able to ask them for way more after that, which uh, on big sites is super useful. Uh, I know for us, like it's kind of one of the things I do. I just like help people out with their SEO or whatever. And I'm like, oh, just change this, all that conversions, like people building email lists, like people are terrible with their pop-ups, et cetera. They have no idea what to do. And you come and you're like, oh, just, just put your opt-in on page load instead of putting it on, it, on exit intent. And all of a sudden, they get three times more emails. And they basically love you. And you can ask them, you'll be like, oh, you know this page that gets like 50 links? Can you put a link to my site on this page? And many will say yes after you tell them to do that, you know? So it's kind of like the white hat spin on that is like you kind of like tell them to do that. And then literally, you find their most linked page on their site. And then once they owe you, it's easy to get a link on that page, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so it's it's your fault that some DA twenty mommy blog wants two hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> Can you tell us one cool thing that most people don't know, like it, broad SEO, not just link building, and that you see most clients don't do that would be super easy they could do in five or ten minutes, and that would help them do better in terms of search traffic. So my number one thing would probably be meta titles. So and not enough people optimize their meta titles. I literally get paid. $400 per hour by people who are doing affiliate, that kind of stuff. And they've spent tens of thousands of dollars on links and they, they've spent it on social signals, have done all their tricks and they, they've still got a default home meta title. <laughs> so you're, you're like, how can you skip the very essence of SEO? So like the very, very basic things. That's what I think people are forgetting. And they're trying to do these high level tech and high level uh, on page and high level link building campaigns when they're forgetting the very fundamentals that Google is actually looking at your site at. Um, and I also think that to an extent, click through rate or CTR based meta titles are bullshit purely from the fact that we've had, a, we've done, unless you're a huge authority site that is going to rank anyway, then you're just purely missing out on a ranking signal. 110% meta titles are a ranking signal. And if you're trying to use like clever symbols and clever icons and you know, clever wording and things to be able to get a higher CTR and your position number three, I would rather have that that ranking signal optimized to get me to position one because I'm going to get a higher CTR on position one than I'm going to get a position three any day. I like it because I literally put that in the new on-page blueprint that's coming out soon. I was like, number one click-through rate factor is position. So optimize for engines first. How do you write your title tags? Like, how do you, like, it's so important. Like, what do you put in there usually? This is one thing that I like to do as well, which I like to keep the ending of the Met title consistent. So a lot of people have gone through their titles and they've done custom titles and they haven't kept the the ending of the site brand the same. So Google actually bases your brand on how you're presenting your brand to them. They're not just going to base it on because you have a hundred anchors with this is your brand name, that is your brand name. It's also going to be on how your titles attack and how it's the same consistency across your entire site. So the first thing I like to do is just make sure that every single Mets title has the same ending so that it's the same brand across the website. And then when I'm actually starting out, I like to put my keywords as close to the start as possible. I'm purely basing it on partial and whichever partials have got the most traffic and the most ROI. So for example, if I'm trying to rank for red shoes, then I then and buy red shoes has a thousand monthly searches but Red Shoes Pinterest has 5,000. Then I'm obviously going to go with the, the 1,000 monthly search one for Red Shoes uh, to buy Red Shoes rather than a Pinterest-based term because, number one, I'm never going to end up ranking for Pinterest because it's a brand-related term. And number two, it's not going to be buyer intent. So I, I tried to base my title tags purely on my keyword research. 
Okay, cool. That makes sense. So basically, just find all the keywords with the same core of the keyword you're trying to rank for and try to put as many of them as possible in your title and put your call keyword at the beginning of the title tag. And put the ending, have the ending be the same. Yeah, yeah. And make sure the ending is consistent. But I put, I don't keyword stuff my mess title. So I'm not saying, you know, go and find all of your keywords and put keyword I one, keyword two. Anymore? The, yeah. <laughs> no, no not, not at all. Yeah. But what I want him to do is try and make it natural. If you're trying to put extra additional keywords within your title and it makes it unnatural and it makes it look keyword stuffed, then just go with the natural tag at the end of the day. Don't try and over keyword optimize your title because you can have, likewise, you can have over optimizing effects from doing those kind of on page and off page uh, tuning signals as well. So it's always just good to have a balance of, of what you're doing with your keyword stuffing because it is keyword stuffing at the end of the day, but um, it's, you're trying to make it as safe as possible. Yeah. Have you tried these new uh, A-B testing tools for uh, title tags? Like there's like abrankings.com. There's like, uh, let me just find the other names actually. Basically what they do is they plug into the Webmasters console API and they run your title for one week. They run one title for one week and then they swap it after a week and then they compare the data and they try to tell you which one gets the, the best click through rate and position, etc. Have you tried these things yet? There's ClickFlow as well. They do that. I haven't tried it yet, but it's something that Nick Hubanks did a blog post on his from the future agency. I recommend reading that blog post because it's really good and it gives you a lot of detail around their testing of, of using those tools. And I think the results will surprise quite a few people. But I, I do think if you have the option to do that, 100% do it. The only thing is I'd only recommend it for sites that have high crawlability rates. If your site is not getting crawled every day or if you and even if you're submitting it through the index etc it sites that have low callability won't you won't be able to force index them through webmaster tools so it, it only really works for the high authority sites that have good uh, amounts of crawling otherwise you're gonna have to wait too long between tests for it to be kind of plausible yeah the thing is like it's also like do you get higher clicks rate because your ranks are varying naturally or is that your actual title tag i just feel like there's kind of like a a chicken and egg problem here well, you're not sure if your title tag made the change, change things and if sometimes even improve your rank if you believe that clicks rate can improve your rankings. Or the other way around, you just moved around because a competitor, like, you know, lost links or whatever, uh, lost rankings. And then, and then you attribute that to your new title tag and you're just, you know, deciding that this is, that this worked, you know? Yeah, there's too much correlation. There's too much correlation to be able to have direct causation within SEO. So you kind of have to do those tests on mass. Otherwise, there's no point in doing them. If you're going to do 10 title tags, then it's going to have too many different variables to be able to do it. But if you're going to have a site that has a thousand pages around the same topic, then you can go and do that on mass and you'll, you'll likely be able to see direct data from that. Yeah, I, I know I talked to a guys from uh, Agoda in Bali and yeah, they, they run these tests on mass. And, and yeah, it makes sense that they'll scale. But like, I think for most people, it's kind of a double-edged sword, just like for the crawl rate, like you said, and for the fact that um, when you run it, when you run it on a low amount of pages, there's going to be a lot of noise in the data, and you're probably going to make a lot of assumptions on things that are just not true. That, that's my opinion. So I, I haven't tried it. I think it can be interesting. I like the concept, but the fact that it's not running at the same time in real time, it just it's opening a whole can of worms that can really mess up with the data. We're basically done. Anything that we should have talked about, uh, let's go back to links. Anything we should have talked about in terms of links that we haven't talked about that I didn't ask? 
There's so many things that we can cover, but we can always do that in the next one. Um, I think a few things that people should probably look into nowadays are uh, link dampening. So that's that's so that's a massive thing that people seem to just skip over, which is the direct thing with OBL. So people talk about OBL, which is outbound links on a page a lot, but essentially it's just link dampening, which is Google's own patent around it. And there's loads of variable tests that you can do around it. And we've actually been seeing quite a lot of tests um, around de- depending on the different links that you have on a page, the more juice you can have to it. So for example, um, and this this is why I think a lot of people have been linking to authority sites from their PBNs and things, um, is if you're linking to several authority sites within one post, and then you have one link to a DA1 site, that link to the DA1 site will actually not pass any juice from our own testing. Um, it, it For some reason, Google just favors the links that have links already that have traffic already that have all this kind of stuff already so it really depends on the type of links that you're surrounding your link with um more so than it does on how many links that you have on a page there's some additional insight that is quite interesting from our original testing so based on that do you think uh, like a lot of people are doing like resource paging building these days do you think it's worth it based on that yeah so i i think it is depending on the what kind of links you're getting on that resource page if there's like 20 DA10 links on there and you're going to be the one DADR50 link, then 100% do it. But if they're linking to like a load of charities and a load of big corporate sponsors and you're going to be the one DADR30 link on there, then I wouldn't do it. So that's the kind of way I, I put my head around it. Yeah, That kind of kills the idea of a lot of EDU links and the way people would get them as well, I guess. Well, I, this is why I don't sell EDU links because I don't think they're particularly that effective. I think people overestimate how much Google puts on government and EDU websites, especially when, especially when a lot of the government websites around like health and stuff are actually some of the worst you can visit for, for your health. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it's just. I mean, they're strong not because Google gives them more weight. It's just like they got a lot of natural links just because they're the fucking government. Uh, and it's like I don't think there's any kind of magic around EDU or GovLinks. It's just well, they're, they're just strong domains usually. If you look at it as well, sorry, um, different governments will have different takes on different things. So, for example, if you go and look at if you go and look at like the UK's NHS versus like American healthcare um, websites versus even like Middle Eastern and kind of more China and stuff, which are still very accepting of herbal and traditional medicines versus modern medicine, those websites will obviously have very conflicting data. So, Google wouldn't put a huge amount of focus on those websites when they're going to be biased in their nature anyway. Yeah, fair enough. It's true. Like, I mean, it's the, the medical, like what is right in medical is must be a headache for Google in general. And the responsibility they carry towards different governments that build different things must be, it must be amazing legally, to be honest. Anyway, that's not the debate. One day we'll do a podcast on uh, the ethics of choosing what's right as Google. We're going to end it here. So where can people find you and uh, maybe check your stuff out? Yeah, so I blog quite a lot on childsfloat.com and then you can also visit my link building service, dfylinks.com. And then we also are actually releasing a ton of content on dfylinks.com. So you can go to to dfylinks.com slash blog and you'll be able to see tons of our blog posts that are coming out over over this current month and the next few months coming as well. Cool. Uh, And you'll be talking at Chiang Mai SEO as well. So we'll both be there. If people want to show up there, we're going to have, uh, we'll be at Beer Lab most nights, I guess. So I guess we'll see you guys there. And uh, Charles, thanks for joining us. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll do round three at some point. Yep. Thanks for having me again. And yeah, I'm down for round three, whatever. All right. Awesome. Thank you. 
So that's it for the interview, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, consider dropping us a review on iTunes, mentioning it. It's a good place for us to see what you like and don't like. Also, remember, we have this huge giveaway going on right now where we are giving $6,700 of link building tools and courses away. You get all the premium courses that we created. You get a year of Ahrefs, you get Mailshake, you get Hunter, and everything you need to do really good link building. To enter it, go on authorityhacker.com slash giveaway. And once again, thanks for tuning in this week. Next week, I'll be back with Mark and we'll have more nerdy link building talks. So watch out for the next episode on Monday. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.